Welcome to the markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here with you for our weekly look at market activity from Wall Street to the feedlots of the West. And as always, an interesting week on Wall Street. Let's look at the numbers first. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 139 points today, ending at 25,848. The S&P 500 gained 14 points to close the day at 2822. And the Nasdaq Composite added 57 points today, to end the day and the week at 76.88. And the S&P 500 posted its best weekly gain since the end of November, and the NASDAQ had its best weekly gain so far this year. For the week, the S&P 500 up 2.9%, the NASDAQ up 3.8%, and the Dow was up 1.6%. So let's take a look at some of the reasons we traded the way we did today. The stock market higher, as I said, basically led by technology companies as a report on progress in U.S.-China trade talks lifted sentiment. China's state-run Xin Yu News Agency said Washington and Beijing were making substantial progress on trade talks providing relief after news that a summit to seal a deal between the two sides would not happen at the end of March. Chip makers, which tend to derive a large portion of their revenue from China, went higher. And despite the mixed news recently on the trade front, many investors expect a deal will eventually happen. According to Paul Nolte, portfolio manager at Kingsview Asset Management in Chicago, in addition, he said investors are warming up to the idea that central banks have taken a huge step backward in terms of tightening. U.S. data showed manufacturing output fell for a second straight month in February, and that followed a batch of weak data this week that brought support to the Federal Reserve's dovish stance on future interest rate hikes, which has helped to lift stocks this year. Boeing, which had a challenging week, dropped or closed up today, up one and a half percent. That was the main reason the Dow moved higher. The world's largest plane maker said a software upgrade for the 737 MAX aircraft will be rolled out in the coming weeks. But even so, Boeing shares for the week lost 10 and a third percent. The company's 737 MAX jets, of course, were grounded globally, including here in the U.S. following that fatal crash in Ethiopia on Sunday. A look at some of the other stocks today. Broadcom jumped 8.2%. That was among the biggest boosts to the S&P 500 and NASDAQ after the company late Thursday reported a quarterly profit that beat analysts' estimates. Photoshop maker Adobe, which also reported results late Thursday, fell 4% after its current quarter revenue forecast missed estimates. And Facebook shares were down 2.5% today after the social media giant said late Thursday that Chief Product Officer Chris Cox would be leaving the company. So 
That's what's happened during the past week. Now, let's look ahead to the week ahead, because not much in the way of earnings reports, but a couple of important meetings. The Federal Open Market Committee begins its two-day meeting Tuesday. It's expected to again signal its intention to be patient before deciding whether to hike interest rates again, And a Reuters poll of economists showed the Fed will wait until the third quarter before raising rates. The the committee will announce its interest rate decision on Wednesday. Nike expected to report an increase in third quarter sales on Thursday of this coming week, benefiting from growing global demand for its running and basketball shoes, Investors will also look out for any commentary the sportswear company would make on that high-profile blowout on a basketball court of one of its shoes during a game in February, and it was a Duke player. Their star player was impacted by that shoe blowout. The Commerce Department on Tuesday likely to show factory orders rising three-tenths of a percent in January, Thursday, the Labor Department expected to report that initial claims for state unemployment benefits for the week ended March 16th fell to 225,000 from 229,000 the week before. And the National Association of Realtors scheduled to report existing home sales numbers on Friday. And they're expecting that number to have gone up 5.10 million units in February up from the 4.94 million units in January. General Mills expected to report an increase in third quarter sales on Wednesday, helped by its acquisition of pet foods maker Blue Buffalo. However, here's a line we've heard a great deal in the past couple of months. Rising freight and commodity costs expected to weigh on the company's profit, And investors and analysts will be watching for updates on pricing strategy and cost-cutting measures. Alphabet's Google will hold a keynote presentation on Tuesday at a video game business conference in San Francisco to announce a new video game technology for the industry. And then let's look north to our neighbor Canada. On Friday, Statistics Canada likely to report that the annual inflation rate in February will rise to 1.5% on the same day the department is also expected to show January retail sales rising four-tenths of a percent after falling a tenth of a percent in December. So uh, probably the biggest event is the meeting of the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee, that two-day meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then, of course, the announcement on Wednesday. One other uh, note uh, this week, too, the uh, economy slowdown around the world apparently is ongoing. But here in this country, U.S. construction spending posted its biggest increase in nine months. And new U.S. home sales fell more than expected in January. That was another report this week that got some attention. 
Sales fell more than expected, suggesting the housing market weakness persisted early in the first quarter, despite that moderation in mortgage rates. So a lot of activity going on, but uh, the earnings report season still ahead of us. And uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about the value of farmland and what's happening with the uh, sales of farmland across the country. We'll be checking in with Ray Brownfield of Land Pro LLC in Oswego, Illinois, when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. As we approach the planting season in the northern part of the country, in the Midwest, it's already underway in some of the southern states. What about the value of the land that you'll be planting your crops in in 2019? Whenever we talk land values, we talk to Ray Brownfield of Land Pro LLC, based in Oswego, Illinois. He's on the line with us now, and I guess the first question, uh, is there still a big demand for good farmland, Ray? Orion, there is a good demand for high-quality farmland, and I think there always will be. However, uh, it's become a more cautious market with the uncertainty in the commodity business today, the, the tariff situation we hope will be resolved. I'm not sure kind of how much impact that will have, uh, but we hope it's positive. Uh, but the, the, the high-quality land, uh, particularly if it's next door to an adjoining landowner who has always wanted that piece of ground, uh, it is in high demand and will be purchased at probably a little more than market price just because it's near where they want it to be. Uh, with that said, uh, we're seeing uh, still a very cautious market. Uh, I would say very regional specific in each by township, or it, it's really, really has gotten very discerning as to what people really decide they want to buy and maybe what they don't want to buy at this point in time. Are farmers the most interested buyers, or are investors uh, taking a hard look at it too? Farmers, farm landowners are continuing to be, I think, the most interested because that's their business. That's what they do. That's what they hope to do for their lifetimes, as well as their children and grandchildren. So it's really a long-term look as to land ownership. Uh, investors are certainly there, and in a few cases, they are there to purchase when there are opportunities. But they're not the high. They're not the high end of the marketplace. They're not leading the market by any means. What about recreational land? Is that holding up in value? Depends on the area. Uh, it's better than it was. There's a little more, I think, discretionary income that's coming back to the marketplace from those of them who uh, want to hunt and fish and just have a little private piece of uh, acreage out in the country. Anywhere near Chicago or any big metropolitan area, 
there seems to be people looking for small acreages, not big, but small acreages in the maybe the five to ten acre level, and uh, they're willing to pay a, a reasonable price, uh, not crazy by any means, because it's not income producing. Usually, it's strictly for recreational use. So, you know, in the bracket here in the Midwest, maybe in the the three to four thousand dollar an acre bracket, maybe five at the very very most. When I was a kid growing up on the dairy farm in Wisconsin, this is the time of year when you'd walk into the bank and the walls would be plastered with auction sales notices. Is this still the time when there is a lot of land changing hands? This is the time of the year when we're beginning to see um, less auction activity because we're getting closer to planting season and so that does slow the market down because those of whom plan to sell their ground would probably just as soon have a lease now in effect and then maybe go to the market next fall uh, so generally the the high volume of auctions occurs anywhere from november through february and into march to some degree but we are beginning to to get to a lower end of that cycle as we get into the spring area and is an auction still the popular way to sell farmland these days? It is if it's high quality. Uh, we're seeing some areas where the lesser quality, lower productivity index, fertility, uh, maybe poor drainage, just some what we call uh, bumps on the pumpkin, so to speak. Uh, there's some auctions that have not done well. Uh, in fact, is they've no-sailed, and that's not a good thing because that sets uh, kind of the climate for the, the pricing in that area because people know what it was. So that's that's an area that we are a little bit careful about right now of taking lesser quality properties to the auction market. But as I said earlier, if they're really good and they're next to some farmers who it's known do want that piece of ground, that's probably still the way to go to maximize your price opportunity. So, Ray, if we have somebody listening who is thinking about selling the farm, give us some advice on what they should be doing at the moment. Well, that's a really great question because now we're entering into the season where most farms are being leased and, and, and probably should be as we get closer to April 1st. And so one needs to understand that that's probably that's an obligation for this crop year when the property does go on the market in case they're wanting to sell at this point in time. So that's not to say it can't be done. Uh, the new buyer would assume that lease uh, in, when they closed, and it's sometimes if it's a cash rental lease, it's prorated. I would say that probably at this time of the year, uh, for the seller, make sure you've got a really good lease. I would say make sure that the terms and conditions are so that the lease does terminate at the end of harvest or at the end of the year. So, therefore, if a new buyer comes in and wants to take possession, they can take possession after harvest close or before the first of the year because traditionally a lot of leases go into the end of February. I don't think that's a very good plan, to be honest with you, for a seller to get into that mode. Uh, I would say also make sure that uh, the farm is looking good, that you have a pretty good idea of what are your price thresholds. It's not a bad idea to look to a professional broker uh, to give an idea of what should the market be because sometimes people really don't know if they're outside the area. So it's, it's a good thing just to get an idea. What, what is the market and uh, what's the best way to get that sold in a period of time that makes sense to everybody? How important is the house and the set of buildings on the farm? Is that as, as important as it always was? 
Well, it depends. Most buyers today, especially if it's a smaller acreage, would prefer not to have a house in buildings because it's really an upkeep issue. There's increased real estate taxes and insurance liability, and renting houses is really something that many of us prefer not to do. It just takes a lot of time, and chasing rent is not something we really all like to do. So actually, if there is a house and buildings on the property, they have to be of, uh, say, the quality that they need to be sold off to adjoining people in town or somebody that wants to add to their, uh, their, their opportunities for their kids or somebody to live out there. Uh, that's maybe an opportunity. But uh, lots of times we see the house and buildings in some cases are terribly run down, and really they're a detriment to the sale of the property because it's what we call cost to cure. The new buyers really are thinking about getting rid of them. Well, today the zoning issues in many counties are such that you just don't burn the house down anymore like you used to. You have to take it down and have it hauled to a special dump. So it really can be an interesting experience. <laughs> What about interest rates as far as farmland is concerned? Moving much? No, interest rates look like they're they're topping out at this point in time. Uh, but I will say, in talking to many ag credit people in the industry today, uh, I think they're doing a good job. I think they're not overextending themselves like we saw happen in the 80s. I think that's a good thing for agriculture. I do see that... Um, that there's some farmers of whom may be a little stretched at this point, although we think it's in better shape than what the Wall Street Journal has suggested. Maybe other publications we've seen out there, we don't see the, the major foreclosure issues that maybe are being publicized. We just haven't seen that. Not to say there aren't some out there. There may well be, and there always will be probably some. But for the most part, interest rates are holding pretty good. Uh, people are okay with that. I think what I'm hearing from the Federal Reserve, it looks like they're going to stay stable this year. And, and so that's a, that's a good thing for all of us. So then let's take a look at cash rent. What is happening to those prices? You know, that was really a, kind of a good experience for us in the management and brokerage business this year. Uh, as we went out to negotiate rents for 2019, uh, we really didn't see any great resistance to holding where they were in 18. I think it helped us to have some Overall, not everywhere, but pretty good crop yields in 18, and also that added dollar 65 bonus, if you will, on the soybean payment really helped out a lot. And I think that with that in in the pocketbook of the farm operator, it enabled him to say, "Okay, we'll do this another year. We'll 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 we'll, we'll stay where we're at." And so we really, on the properties we work with, and I think many of our people that work in the industry didn't feel any great resistance. Obviously, we're not as high as we were three or four years ago. We have come down several years ago to an area which we hope makes more sense for people can make some money, but the owners hope they're being rewarded as they should be. And is there anything major to consider if you're looking at getting out of the farm? Would you want a cash rent or would you want to sell? <laughs> well, it depends on what your, your ownership objectives are. You know, um, I would say that what we're seeing on the sales side is that, and we'll continue to see this with the baby boomers and people in this age bracket that are at the age level where they've inherited uh, the property maybe years ago or maybe not so long ago, and 
the undivided interests uh, are such that it's not always fun to share. And so they get to age level, it's, they think it's, and I think they're probably right, it's time to sell and take the cash and then distribute that cash onto their kids or grandkids as they wish. It's easier to distribute cash into this land, to be quite honest with you. On the other hand, it's a nice long-term investment for folks. And I do think that some people, through a good estate planning would prefer to generation skip. And so that farm, as is the case in my home farm, I've generation skipped, so my grandkids will have that farm, and then they can do as they wish. But they're only uh, 13 and 10 years old, so hopefully that's going to be a long time away. I think we see both sides of that, or it depends on what the family's objectives are. And final question, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue and his predecessors have always talked about their concern over the aging of the American farmer. How can we get young people involved if they don't have parents who are going to transfer the farm? Is there any other way today that a young person could buy a farm? There, there is, and we have had several real estate transactions in our company recently for the Farm Service Administration, USDA, you know, does have a program at a very low interest rate that has a cap, obviously, on how much they can borrow, but Younger farmers, and I've seen several, have started out with the 40 acres opportunity and to, to get into the farming business, at least to start adding equity to their, to their, to their balance sheet, if you will, which I think is always a good thing. So there is that out there. With the government shutdown, it caused us some problems for a while, and they're still catching up with all that and processing those loans. But those are opportunities. I think what we're seeing as well in our business is younger farmers are working with other people they've targeted that maybe don't have kids or kids that are not interested in farming and trying to get next to them and beginning some kind of a, uh, a partnership, if you will, that where they can begin to get into the business, bring some money in, but certainly their capital labor and so we're seeing a little more of that as well. And, in fact, I'm really pleased to say that we personally in our operation, I would say, have 80% of operations under lease right now that actually have younger farmers come in with dad or grandpa or uncle. And that, it, it really makes me feel good to see that. And your company, Land Pro, works all across the country or basically the Midwest? We're based with the Midwest right now. We do have associates across the United States that are accredited farm managers or accredited land consultants who we know quite well that we can always work with and, and highly professional folks. So we can always work through services with those folks. But Illinois primarily and Iowa and Indiana are the areas in which we work in Illinois specifically. We cover the upper two-thirds of the state and, and do a tremendous amount of activity here. Ray, can't thank you enough. Every time you visit with us, uh, we learn something interesting about the land business, and you've been doing it a long time, doing it very well. Ray Brownfield, Land Pro LLC in Oswego, Illinois. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence.
Turning to the agricultural stories of the week, weather was certainly a factor as once again we're seeing stormy weather and we're also seeing the rain and the snow to add to the waters in the rivers and the streams that already is having an impact on the ability to ship particularly on the inland waterways to get agricultural products down to the Gulf to be loaded on ships and transferred across the globe. But a couple of weather stories beyond that. Received an email from a listener in Nebraska this week, and I'll quote that email to you because it points up once again the challenges that farmers and ranchers face not only from trade wars and uh, markets up and down, but also from the weather. Here is the email. I'm not sure if people realize how bad it is right now for Nebraska. Whole towns are underwater. Weather reporters saying evacuations have been ordered for 21 towns and communities containing more than 60,000 people most of which also got hit by the blizzard with no place to go. These people had to leave behind or couldn't get to their pets and livestock, and herds of cattle have been seen running on highways in Nebraska trying to uh, get out of the rain-soaked, flooded pastures and fields. And not to mention, this is the calving season, and calves will be the first to drown as water levels rise, or they'll be the first to freeze to death. People are either trapped in their houses or can't access them since two days ago. This will be billions of dollars in damages and losses across Nebraska. Please pray for those suffering. And then the other weather story this week. Dairy farmers across Minnesota are struggling to find shelter for hundreds of livestock after at least 45 barns collapsed under the weight of this winter's heavy snow. Some farmers lost animals in the dairy barn collapses, while others are scrambling to keep their livestock healthy. Laura Alberts, a sixth-generation dairy farmer near Pine Island, Minnesota, Watched the family barn's roof cave in a few days ago after the snow was made even heavier by the recent rains. The barn completely destroyed. She said her family, though, is lucky because not one calf was lost during the collapse and 125 animals are being moved to two different sites. Several of Albert's neighbors lost livestock in buckling barn structures. Jason Reber said he lost six milk cows when the barn he was renting uh, collapsed recently. He said the losses could cost him $14,000, and he's still looking for a home for his surviving cattle. The Minnesota Milk Producers Association said usually only one of two barns collapse in a typical winter, but Minneapolis has suffered, or Minnesota has suffered particularly heavy snowfall this time around, and in February alone, Minneapolis-St. Paul experienced a record-setting 39 inches. Governor Tim Walz warned on March 9th the state's economy is under threat from the proliferation of dairy barn collapses this winter. 
and Minnesota lawmakers unanimously passed legislation Thursday to help farmers repair buildings damaged by the heavy snow. The bill expands a disaster recovery loan program to include damage related to winter weather. couple of unusual weather stories in the agricultural news this week. Now, where did we end in agricultural commodities today? Well, wheat futures rose 1.7%. Traders unwound some of the shorts they placed on the grain when the market spiraled to a 14-month low earlier in the week. Corn futures higher today on short covering. Concerns about muddy fields and cold soils raising questions about growers being able to plant as much corn as they intended in the coming weeks. So, here's where we ended and here's where we'll start the trade on Monday. May wheat ended up 7.5 cents at $4.62 and a quarter cents a bushel. May corn up 2 and 3 quarter cents closing at 373 and a quarter cents a bushel and may soybeans up 10 and 3 quarter cents ending at $9.9 and a quarter cents a bushel now in livestock today the big story lean hog contracts rallied to a 5 month high closing at their daily trading limit on improving export prospects That's due to a sharp reduction in China's domestic supplies. China's pig herd slid 16.5% in February compared to the previous year as African swine fever swept the country. And the hog market had already risen sharply this week on news that China had resumed imports of U.S. pork. But for the day, today, May, June, October, July, August, lean hog contracts up the $3 limit. Live cattle for April up $1.72. And April feeder cattle up $2.32 a hundredweight. As usual at this time every week, we're out of time. I'm Orion Samuelson. Thank you for joining us on The Markets. 